Hello, everyone, and welcome to the March episode of our Mission Success Women in Multifamily podcast series. I am Laura Kaluger, Senior Associate Editor with Multi-Housing News. Another inspiring female leader has accepted my invitation for an insightful chat on residential real estate. Lilia Chiriakovich, Executive Vice President of Operations at Waterton, is my guest today. Hi, Lila. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Laura, and thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to spend some time with you today. So you have a lot of experience in operations, marketing, and communication, and you'll share some of some of your industry tips later on. But first, I'd like our listeners to get to know you a bit. How and why did you get into real estate? Well, I would like to say it was strategic, but it was purely by accident. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I graduated college with a degree in finance and struggled uh, really to find the right fit and for a while. Um, I really wanted to be in fashion, um, a buyer specifically, but didn't really have any contacts or any real way to, to get into that industry. Um, my parents, both immigrants, valued education above all else because that was really all that they knew. Um, so they really wanted me to continue on to grad school at the time, but I really needed to work because I needed an income. Mm-hmm. So at the, t- <laughs> at the time, my parents owned a two flat and one of their residents had a son who was in real estate. So that was really the only contact my parents had. So my dad suggested that I reach out to Mr. Vukas, um, who you know, was in real estate at the time. And my dad suggested that I talk to him, get some career advice. And of course, my dad wouldn't do that for me. Uh, I nervously called Ron, um, who I had never met. And he graciously agreed to meet with me. Uh, At the time, Ron was the executive vice president at IRAM, which is the Institute of Real Estate Management here in Chicago. So Ron uh, invited me to tour the offices, meet with a few people and really explain what IRAM was. And when a position became available, I was contacted, interviewed, and got the job. I was the chapter administrator for Mm -hmm. the Chicago chapter. And, you know, having had that position, I was able to really meet a lot of people in real estate. About a year after uh, being at IRAM, I interviewed for a job uh, with a real estate firm in Chicago and got my first job as a asset manager. So everything else is history. (laughs) Everything else. I've been in real estate, obviously, ever since. uh, But I will say the one thing that I learned from that experience was really sharing knowledge with anyone who was interested. And and still today, I would never, ever say no to anyone who wants to learn. Um, So I'm always open to, to having those conversations and meetings because it changed my life. Definitely. And what do you like most about your current job? You know, for me, it's it's not so much about the job. I think it's it's more about the people than the job. I personally have had exceptional work experiences and valued the people and the culture above everything else. Um, some very close friends today are people who I worked with or actually even worked for in real estate. So to me, it's about the relationships. But if I had to choose one thing I like about the job, um, I would have to say it is really the opportunity to work with so many people and watch them excel personally and professionally. I I would say it's the most rewarding thing that we do. Um, But not everything is, I don't know, just pink and, and nice about the job. 
Um, if you had the power to change one thing about the real estate industry and how it works, what would that be? The, the one thing that I wanted to change um, is actually changing. Um, and I think the events of, of 2020 really accelerated or at least brought to light what needed to change. Um, CRE has been traditional, for lack of a better word, um, as it per pertains to who it allows into its fold, um, how it thinks, and really how it manages. So like other industries, CRE is actively seeking change now because they finally realize that diversity in culture, diversity in people, diversity in gender brings diversity in thought, uh, which is not just, I would say, the right thing to do, which it is. It's also a business advantage. So that one thing that I really always wanted to change is actually happening now. Likely not fast enough, but I would say that our industry, as well as our trade associations, are keenly focused on that change. And I do think that it will be additive to our industry as a whole. Which has been more valuable throughout your career, your experience or your education? I know you mentioned that education was really important to your parents. To, to me, education is the foundation, I would say. I, again, relationships in any industry are critical. But if I had to choose between experience and education, I would absolutely say experience because I don't think you can learn everything in a actual or virtual classroom. Um, least of all, how to work with and manage people. I think that really comes through in experience and time. But I also don't think education is finite. So I, I don't think it's about getting a four or six uh, year degree or a PhD. In other words, while perhaps not formal, education must complement your experience. So there's no substitute, I think, for intellectual curiosity and really seeking out information and education to complement the work that you do. I agree. What does a typical week look like for you? Are you still working from home? Yes, we're, we're still working from home, um, but we are starting to, to slowly reopen our corporate office. You know, I, I do think that the experience will be different. Um, so we have to adjust our expectations uh, slightly because we still clearly need to take um, stated precautions and, and continue to do so. But I am excited about actually going to the office and, and in some cases being able to, to meet with people face-to-face, -face, even if it is at a distance and with a mask on. You know, a typical week, or maybe I, was, I should start with a day. For me, um, a typical day looks like really starting the day a little bit earlier, but alone. So with a cup of coffee, it's the time that I Uh, like to absorb information. Um, I like to review our metrics. I like to review how our brand looks in terms of service ratings and, and, and what the industry is saying about us. Um, I like to look at industry trends and then really understand what's happening more broadly in, in the space. And then the typical day, I, I would say in the last year, has been absorbed by virtual meetings and, and really finding time to balance information sharing because there's so much need for information um, and, and planning. And it's taken us a while, but we finally figured out the balance of, of um, spending time to, to not just share information about the current state of our business, but really taking time intentionally to set aside for planning the future. Um, there's not much we could do about past performance, but we certainly can invest a lot of time 
in, in optimizing future performance and, and finding that 50-50 balance for us has, has been critical. And what skills have you found vital to your job in the past 12 months? Well, at Waterton, we have uh, a corporate culture, a Waterton code of conduct, which, which we call the Waterton way. And one of the um, more critical pieces of, of our code of conduct is, is something that we call listen and talk. Active listening is a skill, uh, a skill that's learned. Um, and I think it, it has served me exceptionally well in the last 12 months. I would say with so much fear and so much uncertainty, both with our associates and residents, we really needed to listen very carefully in mm -hmm. order to communicate effectively. I would say that everyone's perspective is unique and all of our constituents faced unique professional and personal challenges. And we really needed to listen to understand those. And I would also say similarly, compassion served us well um, understanding the challenges on site, um, it was different for our site associates. Our offices um, were close to the public for a while, but we continued to be on site to be able to serve our residents at that very, very challenging time. So we really needed to lead with compassion and listening to our associates was, was critical in that. You mentioned difficult times. How did you manage to motivate yourself when, when going through those rough times? Do you remember the end of March 2020 and how all that uncertainty made you feel like? I think, Laura, like, like all of us, uh, we, I clearly remember not just uh, March, but I remember the end of February, the beginning of March, the middle of March, the end of March, all of those things. Um, and I think especially um, I had a lot of family in Europe, most of my families in Europe. And so we were not just receiving information here uh, through media. We were also personally getting information from my family in Europe. So um, things were already bad in February or in January 2020 here in Europe. Yeah. And it wasn't widely really uh, publicized in the U.S., but because I had family there, we, we were keenly aware of what was what was happening. So as a firm at the end of February, we had to take to make some very difficult decisions, um, really two stand out. We had a major event uh, um, planned at one of our communities in Chicago, and it was a fund uh, raising effort, uh, which would benefit uh, lung health. Um, it's, it's a uh, partnership that we've had, and it was going to be the 11th year of that part partnership last year. We typically raise about 500 thousand dollars in support mm -hmm. of lung health. We canceled that event, uh, which was devastating, but it was the right thing to do, um, especially in retrospect. Um, also in early March, we had our uh, annual meeting planned um, in Chicago. And so uh, we had plans to celebrate uh, Waterton's 25th anniversary at a meeting in San Diego, California, which required that we fly all of our leadership team, as well as our community managers into one location. We had obviously committed a lot of money and time into planning this pivotal event. Yeah. But uh, because we really believed that, that the health of our associates was paramount, we elected to cancel that event as well. So that was quite a decision, <laughs> a difficult decision, I imagine. Yeah, it was especially challenging, as I said, because uh, late Feb, the information was just starting to come out. 
um, and I think there were so many, so many pieces that we needed to consider, but it was an easy decision when we really, again, um, pivoted toward protecting the health of our associates and then everything else seemed to be um, manageable to us. Um, and then shortly thereafter on March 13th was the day that we had decided to, to close our corporate office. And interestingly, at the time, we announced the two-week closure, knowing that it would likely be longer than that. But I don't think any of us imagined that it would be a full year until we were able to, to really seriously think about returning full-time. Nobody could have predicted that. No, no. Um, what is now the most prevalent way Waterton reaches out to potential renters? Well, I would say even pre-pandemic, the most prevalent Uh, reach was still digital. So most of our prospective renters were introduced to our communities online. Whether it was our website or an ILS, they almost always reviewed the community online. However, it wasn't atypical for people to drive by or walk by if it's an urban location and, and come in to, to explore the community or an apartment, sometimes because they had a specific need and other times because they were just curious about uh, a specific community that you know, they, they come in contact with. But I would say post-pandemic, that changed uh, drastically. Um, you know, as we were shutting down our corporate offices, we were strategizing on how to um, safely continue to manage the needs of our existing residents, but also really looking at how to continue to manage our business effectively. So like most people, we quickly pivoted to an all digital platform. You know, in some cases we had already been testing that technology. Um, we were using virtual tours at most of our urban assets because we knew that the reach was much, much larger if we were able to, to mm -hmm. reach people digitally. We were using uh, 3D digital um, tours Uh, at a few of our communities to see whether or not that that would be a good tool for us. And so because we had these experiences, we were very quickly able to scale across the platform, which obviously served us very well. You've anticipated my next question. <laughs> uh, there are several tech trends accelerated by the pandemic, including apartment viewing. So I imagine that the pandemic has, has changed department touring for Waterton quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, no question that the pandemic has changed so many things, you know, quite a bit. Um, and the way that we tour uh, apartments certainly is no exception. And really what I think we sought to do was offer optionality. Uh, we really focused on our customers and their preferences. And so giving them options in how to tour a community or an apartment was critical to our strategy. So in some cases, people just really wanted a digital tour. Um, and that was an easy offer for us to make. Other people wanted a live virtual tour. So using a cell phone or an iPad, touring the community live while a customer was uh, comfortably viewing that at their home. And then we also found that there really isn't a replacement for those people who just want to experience the real estate and the community. And so we focused very quickly on offering safe, socially distanced tours. Um, and again, listening to the customer, if they wanted to tour that community on their own without an associate, 
we made that available. If they preferred a guided socially distanced tour, we also made that available. And I think that the key here is understanding the bespoke needs of every customer and working really hard to meet those, those needs efficiently was key to, to, to our performance last year. And I think it will continue along those same lines. What about uh, residents, uh, I mean, people that are already residents at your properties, uh, can they use uh, the amenities? Have you opened them? So in the United States, um, you know, one of the things that was challenging for operators is um, there's obviously federal guidelines like the CDC guidelines, yes. which, which guide the way that we operate. And then if you go deeper, there are state guidelines and then even uh, more locally local. as real, real estate, as, as we all sort of refer to it, is very much local um, as it is in, in terms of operating guidelines as well. And so I would say that it is uh, mixed uh, depending on our location. And again, prioritizing health. If there's a outbreak uh, in a specific location, we take steps to really protect not just our associates, but also our residents. So it, I would say it depends. But um, last year, we elected when it was safe to, as I said, offer socially distanced tours. We continued to serve our existing clientele, work orders, preventative maintenance, all of those things were executed, but with due diligence and due care. An exceptional amount of time went into planning and using all of our disciplines at Waterton um, especially our human resources team to make sure that we were doing these things effectively and safely. But where we could, we absolutely opened outdoor amenities safely. And in some cases, using technology again, uh, we opened um, fitness centers. But we really, really wanted uh, to use scheduling technology to do that so that we could limit the number of people using those centers. At the same time, I know Waterton. Um, has also expanded its portfolio at the beginning of this year by purchasing multifamily properties in Los Angeles and in San Francisco, two markets that have experienced softness since COVID-19. What can you tell us about operating multifamily communities in metros that have deeply felt the effects of pandemic-induced difficulties, such as Los Angeles and San Francisco? You know, it's interesting because we, um, in, in some cases, are, are, you know, contrarian in that regard. Um, there's a lot of communication about locations and areas that are in favor and out of favor. But I think um, Waterton doesn't look at things just in the moment. Um, as, as most real estate professionals, we understand uh, the product that we're purchasing as well as the marketplace today and in the future. And I think um, planning and strategy goes a long way in terms of meeting our business plan objectives. So Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, Chicago, all of those urban locations took a public hit, I would say. But I would also say um, that it is also still very, very much locational. And so your, your bespoke location, your bespoke product, your bespoke strategy still serves our greater business plans. And I think that uh, we're very optimistic also about the long-term viability of urban locations. We, we believe in them. Um, and as companies start to make longer-term decisions about their employment practices, um, hybrid work, for example, 
uh, once some of those decisions are made, I would say that residents can make decisions about their own futures, and that will help us really bring some of these locations back to life, I think. You mentioned earlier that communication was key during the past few months. Um, what should an effective communication and marketing strategy include? Lots of owners and operators have, have struggled to during the past few months um, with many challenges, including how to effectively communicate with their residents and the staff. What would you recommend? I guess I'll start with communication with associates um, because at the very base of it all of business is that relationship with our associates. So we believe that in order to be effective, we have to be authentic and transparent. And I think also consistent. So as an example, our leadership team elected to host a weekly virtual all team meeting when we shut down March 13th, and we have been doing that ever since. Similarly, our operations team hosts a bi-weekly all-team meeting with our on-site teams. Again, a very similar strategy, I think especially important uh, when we were unable to travel. Um, and while travel is still limited, we believe that the best practice um, is to meet with our teams, even if it is virtual. Um, it's a great way for us to motivate and encourage our teams to remain connected, but also to broadly share information and goals. And we find that that has been a very effective tool for, for our team members. And the other thing that we've learned, I would say in the last year, is how we can more effectively utilize technology uh, to, to educate our team as a learning tool. So our salespeople, for example, are utilizing video, uh, short video uh, as a substitute for in-person learning. And I think that that is culturally um, a, a big shift for us, but I think it, it is one that will likely continue post-pandemic um, because so many people are used to watching video anyway. And if you make it meaningful and, and short, I think it's a great learning tool. And then for resident communication, I, I think it has to be you know, communication both ways. And one of the things that I've always focused on is making it easy for our residents to do business or to communicate with us. So whether it's through an app, a resident portal, or um, an email, wh whatever their preference is, we need to make it easily accessible and available to our residents. But very much like our um, strategy with our associates, we chose to communicate with our residents consistently and very timely. And as we learned things, we shared them with our residents. And as we changed our processes, we very much, very quickly shared all of that information with our residents. So we obviously, again, relied on technology because for the most part, our offices were closed to in-person meetings. But the one thing that we did, we did learn very early on was that, you know, there really is no substitute for authentic person-to-person -person communication. So we decided uh, last summer really to, to go um, back to an old uh, communication method. And, and rather than waiting for people to contact us or one-way communication, we decided to call residents. Um, okay. <laughs> imagine that. Oh, they react, yeah. Um, I think it was invaluable. First of all, there's, you know, 
residents who we talk to all the time, whether it's to, to share a service disruption or to share a compliment, those are the typical people that we hear from. Um, but there's some of these residents that we just don't hear from. They, they live in their homes, they pay their rent and they just go on with their life. Uh, but we really felt that it was important, especially in our urban location, studio, one bedroom apartments to, to reach out to those uh, residents and, and ask them how they're doing, whether it was after a, a service event, like a work order or a renewal, or just because we hadn't heard from them. And, and really we learned a lot. We learned a lot about what they wanted and how we can better meet their needs. And so using that sort of traditional tool, um, it really helped us understand our, our resident base a little bit better. You really have an extensive real estate background and real estate marketing in particular is your focus. Are there any marketing related books or articles or, or blogs that you'd recommend to those who are at the beginning of their career in real estate marketing? From, from my perspective, um, real estate Commercial real estate has a tremendous number of resources today, probably more than ever before. And our professional trade organizations are a reliable source of information. Um, yours, for example, I think it's a great tool for individuals who are either looking to enter a career, whether it's marketing or real estate in general, or just to explore other opportunities if they're already in the field. Uh, for someone starting out, I would suggest, again, connecting with a trusted either career counselor or making a connection with somebody who's in the industry. I think spending time with somebody who is doing the work is critical. For me, um, as I said, I really enjoy uh, learning quite a bit, and I personally enjoy listening to TED Talks. And it's not multifamily specific, but I believe that we should look outside of our is industry for inspiration and for ways to guide our, guide our business and our, and our thinking. And so I'm, I'm a huge proponent of, of TED Talks and frankly podcasts. And I think modern multifamily is one that our marketing team really suggested and, 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 and really enjoys today. I agree. What are your plans uh, this year? We, we have a lot of plans at, at Waterton. Um, like most companies, we've set our strategic goals for the year. But I think generally, I would say I feel really optimistic about the state of our industry. Uh, we have so much, I think, working in our favor, whether it's on the demand side or, or the supply side, we believe that the opportunity is tremendous. Uh, we also have challenges, um, but I believe that the industry is working hard, again, as I stated earlier, to attract new untapped talent. And I think that that, along with leveraging technology, will help us solve so many of our problems. And how do you expect the multifamily industry to perform in 2021? Another pretty challenging year. You know, it's interesting. Um, we have more information, more data available to us. And it, it really becomes a strategy and focus on, on using that data to guide our decisions. So as an industry, we believe that 2021 will be challenging. But we also think that there is tremendous opportunity in the industry. We're a primarily a value-add firm. We, we focus on, on that value-add space. And we're really looking forward to continuing our business strategy of improving our communities from a physical 
and from a management perspective. I don't think that it is a strategy that is a one size fits all. I think there are specific locations, particularly urban markets, where we really need to continue to look at our strategy and adjust it based on the um, information that we receive from our site teams, as well as, as from the data that we use on a daily basis to guide our decision making. Well, Lila, it's been great talking to you. Thank you for all the insights and comments. Laura, thank you for having me, and I look forward to future podcasts. It's, it's been a great experience. Until our next chat, make sure you follow MHN's podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 